It is the second week of our Advent series. We're going to be in the book of Philippians all December. So if you want, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. As you're turning there, this is something to, that, that kind of stirred in my heart and my mind, thinking about why this verse is so important. This is going to be a verse that some of you will probably consider your favorite verse of the Bible. All of you will consider this very helpful and necessary if you are serious about the inventory of your life. How many of you, or maybe better put is, when was the last time you woke up in the middle of the night and your mind was racing with something that you could not turn off? It's totally unannounced, unvolunteered, just something that plagues your mind, wakes you up and it's like, continually think about this. And that's a feeling that I think sometimes we, we all kind of wrestle with. For me, Surprisingly, I had that happen this week. It happens from time to time. Uh, I have these, this horrible nightmare of a dream that it's Sunday morning, and I've woken up late, and I rush to church, and I stand before the congregation, and I have nothing to say. And it's an ironic way to relate to this feeling of kind of anxiety that sometimes plagues us at night, because for my circumstances this week, I worried that I would have nothing to encourage you about on how not to worry, because that's what we're talking about today. The second week of Advent, traditionally, as we prepare our minds and relate to this sensation of eagerly waiting for God, that's what Christmas calls us to remember, that God delivered his son, born in Bethlehem. Uh, Unto us a son was given. And we remember that because we are people that are still waiting. In, in real time, waiting on God and waiting for his return. And anytime you wait, there's uncertainty, there's unknowns, and there's opportunity for worry. And so last week we looked at hope, which is very important in waiting. Unless you want to give up, you got to have hope that your waiting is not in vain. And today we look at peace. Because what we'll find today is that the opposite of peace is not necessarily war, but rather worry. It's the thing that causes all of us to lose a sense of calm waiting on God and start to think about all of the what ifs that could happen. So if you have your Bible turned to Philippians chapter 4, we are going to look at one of the most powerful exhortations in Scripture on why we should be confident that while we wait and as we trust God, we can actually do all things with a heart and a mind full of peace. And so if you were able to relate at all to the exercise of thinking about your middle-of-the-night fever dream, and it probably went beyond just the bedroom and into the streets and the car and, and plagued by something that's going on in your life that you're uncertain about, today we look at the Word of God that says we can exchange anxiety for peace. It says in Philippians Chapter 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then verse 7 says, when we do that, when we remove anxiety through the power of prayer, it says in verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything be prayerful, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You can see why this is one of the most famous verses in all of the New Testament, the promise of God that we can, in fact, wait on him and trust him and go through uncertain times without having to be plagued by anxiousness. And sometimes, you know, we think about this draw to worry and this push on our hearts. And it's very easy to think about the last couple years we've lived in. There's a lot to be thinking about. The world feels divided. The uh, pandemic era has ushered in a new way for all of us to be worrying or feeling anxious. But one of the comforts and reminders of scripture, this is a 2,000-year-old human condition. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to a church in Philippi that they should not be anxious. And as he's writing to them, he is writing with a position that many of us would think comes with some reason to be anxious. He's writing from prison with an uncertain sentence hanging over his head. And he's writing to them to tell them 2,000 years ago something that we need to hear today because it is not just the circumstances of our world or your life. It is the condition of the human heart that can bend towards feeling worried and anxious. And today we're going to look at three different ways that this passage of Scripture tells us, encourages us, even promises us that the people of God can walk through life guarded by peace. So before we look at those three, let's just define our terms. Before we get into the how, let's talk about the what. Let's look at what it means to be anxious for just a minute, and then we'll talk about what the Bible is talking about when it talks about peace. So feeling anxious, or maybe thinking about this verse, is often applied to those big ticket items of life. Even as I thought about this verse all week and kind of talked to people and had my listening ears on for how it was something that I was helping people pastor through. Uh, heard a lot about people with diagnosis, a loved one who's medically ill, hearing about people who have broken relationships in their family. And that's just, that can, that can leave you with those uncertain feelings that leads to anxiety. And certainly one of the synonyms for anxiousness or worry can just be wholesale fear. In some ways, you could look at this and say, don't be afraid, but trust God. But in other ways, and the reason that we have to look at the scope of this is because it says, for nothing. For the big things in your life, and for things that sometimes may be seemingly small that, that get a pass. One of the synonyms for anxiousness, which I loved, was fidgety. Have you ever felt fidgety about life? Where it's the day that you're having and, and you had a certain plan for your specific day. Maybe it's just an hour. You had a plan to get in and out of the grocery store in 40 minutes and get to the next place. And the person ahead of you is paying in pennies or whatever they do ahead of you to, to make you realize that humanity is often very dumb. And you're happy. Your, your anxiousness is just like I have somewhere to be. And I, and I didn't plan on this, and this is bothering me, and it's annoying me, and it's dragging you back into the center of your world is you. And you can find it at the red light. You can find it at the, at the mall right now if you're looking to practice patience and, 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 and waiting peace. You can find all sorts of ways that this isn't just the big ticket items of life, but what the Apostle Paul is getting at is that anything, he uses the word nothing, 
Anything in your life that moves you away from trusting and being content in God and into a place where you are fearful, apprehensive, afraid, or irritated is something that is going to rob us of our peace. And if we save this just for when life gets crazy or the headline news is drastic and we're forced to our knees, we might miss the point that Paul is making in this passage of Scripture that this is not simply something we're using like Advil in the shelf. This is something that we're going to look at today that is supposed to actually define your entire life. And there is no room to be moved away from the peace of God for your life. And so now we think about what that peace looks like. So if you've driven downtown recently on Front Street, there's actually a big blow-up letters that says peace, and then it's got the whole world, it's just the globe, which, of course, the people of God, we are waiting for the king to come and bring once and for all peace to the world. But this isn't necessarily the peace that Paul is offering to this little church in Philippi. The, the peace of the Bible, more often than not, and, and true of this scripture, is a peace for your life. He says that the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind, meaning that this is an inner peace. This is for you as a person, for us as a church, that we would be defined from our hearts and our minds, the way we think about things, the way that we're moved to desire things comes from a place of contentment in God. And this is a word you may have heard in Hebrew, which encapsulates this so beautifully, called shalom. Let me give you a definition of the shalom of God, or the peace of God with the word shalom. It means peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and inner tranquility. That's the peace that you feel when all is well with your world. The peace that as you gaze upon the, the sea of glass and the lake, when you finally get to the place that your day was waiting for, and you, you are able to exhale in life and see that God, in fact, is good because your life is once again in the tranquil state that he has made us to enjoy it in. It's also, which I love, shalom is also a greeting both hello and goodbye in ancient cultures, and, and still some cultures today. In fact, our Iraqi fellowship is meeting right now, and you'll hear them say shalom to one another, or peace be with you. This is a communal tranquility that brings peace to people. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about living in the body of believers, the church of God, the community of God, that is not easily shaken by the circumstances of the world. And as we continually study the, the, the word and get built up into the stature of the, the, the image of God and Jesus Christ, we're always looking for ways to be set apart or holy, or in other words, a light in the dark. And if you are looking for what that practically means in your life, this is one of the best ways that the people of God can show the world one of the beautiful benefits of knowing our God is that he gives us shalom. He gives our life a protection of peace in all of the ways that Jesus says, don't be surprised when trouble comes because it's coming. I don't have to spend time on or belabor the point that life in this side of eternity is full of trouble. But what we can take away from today's scripture is no matter what trouble comes your way, the plan of God for our lives is shalom or peace, a, a completeness and a wholeness that does not drag us into worry and anxiety. So with the terms defined, now the question is, how do we get there? And this passage of scripture is not medicine. It is a method. 
It is a, a way for us to look at something that Paul is offering that he found true of his own life. Something that was not just a, a quick Hail Mary prayer and exchange in the moment feelings of anxiety for feelings of peace, but he's actually offering us some good truth and understanding on how to live this. And so the first thing that we see hidden in, in verse 6 is one of the primary, the foundational answer that you cannot get to the other two without the first one. He says, be anxious for nothing, big, small, little, large, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This verse could be so easily summarized just in the first half. It could turn into a beautiful Christian plaque above the fireplace. And a, a good-looking, smiling preacher could say, be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. And you could miss the entire main thrust of the, of the, of the exhortation, which is, this happens through Christ. This is not just positive thinking. This is not just trying your best to meditate your way out of illogical thinking. There is a gateway to the peace that God is offering people, and it is through Christ, which means the very first peace we have to talk about before we talk about the method is the peace that must be made with God primarily and foundationally. There is no long-lasting, everlasting peace without a peace between God and man. So for those of you who are believers, I'm actually calling you back to the beginning of this message in your life. Every single person who has put their trust in God as Lord and Savior has a BC to their life or a before Christ. And what that represents in your story or your testimony is before you knew God, you have a reference point to a lack of peace or shalom. There were things you could do to medicate yourself. You could buy, as it were, earthly life insurance. You could try to figure out all of the things that may cause your list of anxiety to grow and, and, and throw solutions at them. Like, okay, I, I'm low on money, so I'll save more. I've got broken relationships, so I'll find people I get along with and separate from people I don't. But every single attempt at earthly peace is temporary until it is rooted in the peace that God offers once and for all foundationally between him and you. And we already had a preview of this peace offered with God through Christ in one of the songs we sang. I did not know that we were singing this song, but I always love when the message and the songs by the Holy Spirit are united because we sang... And I'm going to say my opinion, but it's close to just matter-of-fact truth, the best Christmas song ever written. And so this is a dividing issue for some of you. All, and, but, you know, from melody to song arrangement to rich theology, I'm not going to get into a defense of why this is the best Christmas song, but Hark the Herald Angels Sing is my favorite Christmas song, and we sang it, and it was smuggled into that is this story of why Christmas brings joy to the world. It is because, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinner have been reconciled. That is the foundation of the message of Christ coming into the world. 
and all of the theology that flows from it is that the loving God did not want to see his good creation perish at the hands of sin. So he sends his son into the world that no one would perish. And how does he welcome us? How is he heralded? A herald is someone who goes before to prepare the way. Hark the herald, if you sing it, is actually just a beautiful retelling through song of Luke chapter 2. Hark the herald is when the angels meet these shepherds who would become the heralds of the king. In the upside down kingdom that God is ushering in through his son, he chooses his son to be born in a manger and the heralds of the king that go with trumpets normally are actually going with the shepherd's staff and an angel greets them. And in the presence of the glory of a heavenly being, these shepherds are afraid. And of course they're afraid because of the majesty of a, of a heavenly being before them, but they also represent the fear of man against heaven. Because in the end, whether you have wrestled with this to the ground or not, the holiness of God brings all of us to our knees in fear of him. We do not deserve to be in his presence. And these shepherds see a preview, a, a glimmer of the preview of heaven, and they're brought to their knees in fear. And what's the message? Hark the herald. Don't be afraid. Go and tell the message that God has good will towards men, and he comes to bring peace on earth. The prince of peace is who we celebrate at this time. And for all of us who have accepted him, it is the foundation for every category that exists in your hearts of worry. The primary thing that brings you peace into your life is that he who did not spare his own son, he freely gave him to, to us all. And Christmas is a reminder that God invaded our world himself through his son. How much more will he freely give you all things? So once you understand peace with God... You are ready to learn how to walk the peace of God that has to be a discipline of our lives. But before we move forward, there is no going past that this comes through the door of Christ. And usually, if you come to church, if there's ever a template to preaching, it's probably you preach the message and by the end, you give an invitation for those who don't yet believe to come and receive. This message is going to bring that to the front. Because if you have not made peace with God, you do not get to walk out the peace of God that is being offered in this text. It starts by saying, ultimately, my worry and my concern and my anxiety is rooted in the fact that I don't know my ultimate purpose of life. I have not fully committed to the reality that I am not my own. I have a creator, and he has set before me a decision to make about what I live for. Until you have made that decision, you will not know long-lasting peace. You will only know temporary solutions. It was once said that the heart is restless until it finds rest in God. And so peace with God is the beginning. For some of us, we have to be reminded of it. For others of us, we have to begin there. And the message now, as Paul will say throughout this passage of Scripture, is for the brethren or the family of God to make it a more broad term for our audience. And so now we start with peace with God. We celebrate it. We enjoy it. And it, it's the stage we stand on to walk everything else out. And then what does Paul say? He says, and then the, the, your, the peace of God 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. So he says the peace of God himself is going to guard your hearts and your minds. Now, how does that work? The reason we need it, no matter how long you've been saved, you will still have to come back to this verse throughout your Christian life. It's not that you're saved and now everything becomes easy and your life is a sea of glass. You have to actually learn how to live out the peace of God. And as you continue to read, he's going to give a very clear exhortation that this is not supposed to be medicine used in case of emergency. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, if you take nothing else, is not a verse you give someone who's in a panic attack. Now, you can encourage them that that there's, there's all sorts of scriptures that remind us that God doesn't want us to be fearful and afraid but he wants us to live in peace. But what Paul is getting at is he says it guards our heart and then he gives us a list of things to do, a list of things to practice or walk in. In fact, he says that prayer and thanksgiving and making our requests known, he then will go on to talk about meditating or thinking differently. He then in verse 9 will talk about things we've received and seen in him as an example we must also do. So one way we have to think differently now about peace is that it is not simply an emotion or a feeling. It is actually a discipline. Peace should probably be more categorized in the column of a resolution than just a, something that we desire to have. You know, it's the classic, if you want to lose 10 pounds, you're going to have to change your diet and do something about it. You don't just pray like, God, take it away. It doesn't go away. You have to change the way you live your life. Want your finances to be different? You're going to have to move some things around with your spending habits. And if you want your worry and your fear and your anxiety, which I think all of us should, to be left at the altar of things you want to resolve in your life, you have to do something about it. And Paul is giving us things to do. So practically speaking, let's look at the things that he says to do. He says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Make your requests be made known to God. Okay, so that's really actually a very redundant list, so we can take that as extra important, and it's always challenging to preach this particular topic. Paul says to remove things on the list of anxiety and find the peace of God, you have to pray, and it's hard to preach about prayer. Why? Because it is the Christian response to everything. And in fact, this verse defends that point. It says, in everything, pray. And just like preaching a famous passage of scripture, it's hard because you've heard it and you know it and it's popular. And when the the Bible says to really get this right, you have to pray. Well, you say, well, yeah, I know we have to pray. But what else do we do? Well, this is it. This is actually what we do in a lifestyle of being disciplined against anxiety and towards peace. Prayer is, in fact, what is missing from many of our lives that have a running list of things we're overly concerned with. And what Paul is saying is one of the things he learned is that when you seek God, when you turn your problems and anxiety into reasons to prayer, it is beginning a lifestyle and a discipline of having your life guarded. That prayer does, in fact, guard your life. And for those of you who are, okay, I'm interested in prayer, but tell me more, there's ways that he says this that should make it more than, okay, 
You wake up in the morning, you say Hail Mary, and you check off the list of prayer. The word that he uses to make this more than just a list of things to do, but actually a call to your knees, is the word supplication, a word that we don't use often. So actually this week I asked quite a few people, what do you think he means when he says supplication? And if you've been around the Bible, maybe you've heard some answers. It's like petition. You know, it's like, Lord, you, you have what I need. This is the list of stuff I'm worried about. Can you please help me? Which is a good answer or, or intense asking. The favorite answer I got came the quickest from my wife. I said, what do you think supplication means? And she very quickly said, it means to beg on your knees. And I said, how did you know that so quickly? And she said, because... The word is suplicando in Spanish. It's very easy. <laughs> so this is an advantage of having a Spanish-speaking wife. In her language, it's very clear. You go before someone who has something you need, and you ask them intensely until they say yes. Or you ask them intensely knowing that they can help you. And so if you want an example of suplicando, anyone who's got kids under the age of like seven, you've got a bunch of disciples of suplicando in this, in this month right now. My kids are little suplicandos as well. I'm already using the word wrong, but my little suplicandos are coming to me and they're like, this is what we want. And they talk to me over and over and over again about their wish list and their desires and their hopes for what they're waiting for as a picture of Advent on Christmas. This is what we want. This is... You, you can do it. Please help. And this removes us from just the ritual of prayer to now saying, are you as serious about prayer as you are about worry? Are you as serious about your list of needs that keep you up at night with God as you are with your own mind, as you are with your own heart? Supplicating takes worry and turns it into prayer. With the same energy that your heart wants to race around worry, now the, the word says, take that to God. And if my kids were smart, and if your kids were smart, they would actually add one more element to their asking to really make the point clear, because it says, not only are you asking and petitioning and begging God on your knees a posture of prayer, but you're doing it with thanksgiving. And you imagine your kids coming to you and saying, I know you can, this is what I want, this is what I need, and thank you in advance. Now, as a father, I would be like, whew, that's, you're probably going to get what you want. And this is an important quality that we should be able to bring to God. Because when the word says that he will guard our hearts and minds with peace that surpasses understanding, it means that we can thank him in advance according to his goodness. If you have made peace with God, you know that he loves you. You know that that peace was offered because of his grace and kindness and mercy, apart from anything you deserved. You're standing on the foundation of your peace with God, provided 100% and totally from him. So now the needs that you bring before him, you can say, I know you've been good, Lord. I have access to you because you sent your son and made peace with me. So whatever you do, thank you in advance. If you can take the things on your list, the things in your heart and the things on your mind, and bring them to the Father in heaven who cares for his children more than we care for ours, and say thank you in advance, you are beginning to walk the exercise and discipline of peace. Because what you are saying is, God, I don't know how you're going to answer, 
I don't know when exactly you're going to answer, but I don't need to because I know that you are good. And one of the challenges that worry will present to you is questioning over and over again, will God, can God? And what we can say is we bring our requests, we turn them into prayers, and we say, thank you for whatever you're going to do. So we thank him, we ask and we beg, and then Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. So first of all, we've got to redeem that word slightly from our culture or maybe some apprehension when you hear the word meditate. Maybe you're thinking solely in the uh, emptier mind and remove all attachments to this world and just talk good to yourself in a way that would make a new age yoga master proud. And so we say this is not the meditation that Paul is suggesting for us this morning. What he is saying is think deeply about the good things that God has revealed to you. Think so deeply in your life. And, and here's something that's lost in the way that we talk about worry. Because sometimes it's like, okay, you're up at night and you're driving around, you can't stop thinking about this stuff, and you're overthinking. Have you ever heard the term, like, you're, oh, I just, I'm overthinking everything. Should I ask her out? Should I move away? Should I go to college? Should I, should I, I'm thinking about everything way too much. And it's getting at the right idea. But we, we don't need to stop thinking. We don't need to think less. We need to think better. We need to be people who fill our hearts and our minds with truth rather than maybes, with virtue and with purity and with things that are good and lovely. And as we've already talked about, we've, we're being pulled into the kingdom of God being set apart from the kingdoms of this world. Because when you read Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, this is as about as anti-cultural constitution as you can find. You live in this world that tells you to think about everything in a negative light. You think about all that is wrong with the world and dwell on it. Think about all that could go wrong, all that has gone wrong. You need to reverse all of your childhood drama and dwell on it and think about it and draw it out. And of course, there's things that we can recognize that we're bad and that God can redeem. But what the word is saying for us, for the people of God, for the brethren, is that we are called to think with so much hope, with so much goodness, to be filled with truth and whatever is good report, that's the gospel. Whatever is praiseworthy, that's all God. And really, each one of these things wrongly, I believe, can be categorized in an individual way. Individually, if you ever get worried, turn to Philippians chapter 4. If individually, when you're worried, go into your prayer closet and pray. Individually, uh, when you're going through things in life, we're going to tell you to be more thankful, and then you need to go meditate about how you have not been very thankful. And of course, God is a personal God, and he rewards uh, openly what you do secretly. But this is full of ways that we are supposed to do this together. Paul says, what you have seen in me, what you have watched, what you've done. Paul himself is writing a letter to others to encourage them as a church. 
He's writing to the whole church. I preach to you now, all together. This is for the people of God, and I believe we are called to encourage each other together in it. As I preach, we are filling our minds and our hearts with the goodness of the word of God. As we sing together, we are considering all the praiseworthy attributes of God. And one of the biggest challenges of our generation and our lives that it seems to points to more anxiety and worry than anything else is the challenge of isolation. We've never been more altogether but separate in the history of mankind. In the history of mankind, we have more and more and more ability to do everything we need to do but alone. And I tend to think we are the most stressed out people that have ever lived. Now, why is that? It's because one of the ways that you feel worried and anxious is by feeling alone. That's why whether or not you've made peace with God or not this morning, you probably relate to the need to just call somebody when you're feeling really, really down. And a voice on the other line can help you through. How much more should the people of God be the voice on the other line to each other? That sometimes it's hard to pray. You know how you can break that? Pray together. Sometimes it's hard to think about these things. You know how you can do that? Encourage and exhort one another. And in the end, what we find is not only do we have peace with God, and we have the peace of God, but ultimately what this is drawing us to is not just being closer together, but it's drawing us to God himself. This is the point of everything we do. When we read the word, yes, it is supposed to give us confidence that God cares about our needs and will make us through and shepherd us through our worry. And when we gather, yes, we are here to learn things about our life. But the reason that we worship and praise him is to be with him. And one of the greatest ways you can be, learn to be with God is by allowing him to guard your hearts and your minds through the chaos and the storms of life. And Paul says, when you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. That's what it says. The very end of this, these things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, you do them. And the God of peace will be with you. The very fundamental question that all of your anxiety is preying on, for those of you who know and love God, is does God care? Is God with you for this category? Is God with you in the ways that your day has gone awry, in the way that your body has gone crazy, in the way that your family feels broken, and your anxiety will say, you better fix it, otherwise it won't be fixed. And Paul says, when the peace of God surrounds you, you know he's with you. And the season of life that we enter into, as we think about Jesus coming to earth, if there was ever any doubt, is God with his people. They waited 400 years to hear again from God. They're waiting for him to show up on the scene with the Messiah, and it turned out to be he himself. And we think back to the faithfulness of God to invade our world to say, I am with you, Emmanuel, God with us. And today we stand on the same confidence as we wait for Christ to come. He is on his way. We are waiting for the return of the king. And as we wait, we wonder, what about all the stuff on the list? What about 
our, the, the, the state of the church age? What about the, the state of the world? What about the state of my family as I wait for this eternal kingdom to be ushered in? God, the peace of God surrounds you and says, God is with you. And I love that it says, the God of peace. Because one of the realities of human nature, whether you're a theist or not, is that you are what you worship. And in all of our anxiousness, we're getting a slight picture into what we worship. And this isn't meant to condemn some of the ways that you have real concerns for your life. But when you're anxious about fitting in, making just enough money to get the stuff you think you need, there's something that you're worshiping in those things that will not be the God of peace. And we see it all throughout the Old Testament. It's so easy to see ancient people and be like, man, what are they doing worshiping these idols and all these different foreign gods and gods of nature and, and gods of pleasure? And man, at least we're beyond that now. It's like, well, we may not make wooden idols, but there are a lot of little g gods that we all worship. The little g god of the state of the world and politics and the little g god of beauty and the little g god of pleasure. And those gods are not the god of peace. But there is a living god. A god that is not just categorized by one line item of creation. There is a god who revealed himself through his son, and he calls his son the prince of peace, and the father in heaven is the God of peace, and you worship that God, and you have his peace guarding your life. And if there was ever any doubt, I'll leave you with two verses to stir our hearts for this season. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, Unto us a child is born, a son is given. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And on came the Prince of Peace, born in a manger in Bethlehem. Isaiah the prophet will go on to give us the heart of God for his people then, now, and for all time. As they waited on the son to be born, he reminded them in Isaiah 41, verse 9. You, I have taken from the ends of the earth, I've called from the farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. If you have made peace with God because of the free gift of his salvation in your life, you are part of his family. He considers you an adopted child. He has brought you in by the blood of his son. He chose you from the foundations of the earth. And he is with you and he will not forsake you. You preach that to your soul. You call upon that God when you have prayer. You thank him for his goodness as you supplicate and cover it all in thanksgiving. And the peace of God will guard your heart and mind, not just in the moment, but for your life.